Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening and welcome to Amplify, a telephone talk show that looks at life from a religious perspective. I'm Father Ron Lingwin, hoping you have felt the warmth of God's love in your life this day, especially the joy you feel when you share God's love with others. And I hope you'll be able to do that at Thanksgiving to thank God for the people he's brought into your life, friends and family alike. As usual, I'd like to begin a program with a story that is based on faith and formed with imagination. The day had been quiet And Peter was filled with joy because he was alone with Jesus as they walked slowly together into a small town. Jesus asked Peter, What is bothering you, my friend? You have been silent much too long. Peter began to laugh and answered, You know me, you know me, don't you? Jesus nodded his head that he did and said, You are very special in my eyes, Peter. Peter stopped, but Jesus kept walking. Peter called out, Master, Master, I have stopped. I know, Jesus replied, but the sooner we get there, the sooner we can rest. And so Peter began to walk quickly to catch up to Jesus. Then Peter said, I know you are my friend, Master. You are a good friend, a friend who is just and wise, but why did you pick me, a simple fisherman? Yes, I had men working for me, but still I am a simple fisherman. In business, not bad. Jesus smiled and stopped while Peter kept walking on. Then Peter turned, looked back, and started laughing, and so did Jesus. Peter asked, Master, can we sit and talk? Jesus nodded and said, Yes, my friend, we shall sit and we shall talk. Jesus sighed deeply and said, Peter, Peter, I knew the first time I saw you, you were chosen to walk with me. Peter said, whoa, that's a heavy responsibility you lay upon me. Jesus nodded and responded, you do not realize, my friend, the burden you will carry. But there will be great rejoicing because many fishermen will come after you. They will be wise, strong, and yes, good men. Some will be influenced by life around them, but others will be faithful to the words of my Father. Peter said, I do not understand, Master. Jesus extended his hand and said, 
Peter, Peter, truly, you were chosen by my Father, and yes, in many ways by me, because you are strong. Jesus got up, seemed to be searching for something, and then found a rock. He handed it to Peter and said, Peter, my words are strong and will endure like this rock. Let the words I speak be strong in your mind. They will be heavy in your heart like this rock when the time comes, but they shall give strength to those who follow the words of my Father. Tears began to form in Jesus' eyes, and he said, Peter, Peter, like this rock, you will be strong, and many will come after you as I have told you before. They will build a mountain of love, a place of love, for others to see, to climb, and to experience the love of my Father. A story of faith and imagination. Our guest writes in the introduction to his book titled, 100 Ways John Paul II Changed the World. I'll skip around to a couple different places, but he writes, I've always been lucky when... I was a teenager. Local radio disc jockeys knew me because I always called in. I was usually the winning caller. It was only partially luck. After a few attempts, I developed a system that gave me an edge, even on our old rotary dial phone. I learned early in life that you can, to an extent, make your own luck. As I got older and grew in my faith, I learned that luck really isn't luck. Everything, whether we perceive it as good or bad luck, is a blessing. As St. Paul told the Romans, quote, We know that in everything God works for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. I was, quote-unquote, lucky, blessed, to have had five encounters with John Paul II, including three private audiences, it was life-changing to have these brief moments with the perhaps most consequential pope of the past 500 years and the most visible human being who ever lived. I knew a great deal about John Paul before writing this book, but I discovered in my research that the breadth and depth of his influence was far more substantial than I had imagined. His work, his life, and his faith inspire me. More than anything, John Paul lived for his relationship with Jesus Christ. His prayer life fueled everything he said and did. If there's one takeaway from this book, it's his call to prayer. Prayer is rocket fuel for sanctity, which he lived beautifully. As he told a gathering of young people in New Orleans in 1987, quote, If you really wish to follow Christ, if you want your love for him to grow and last, then you must be faithful to prayer. It is the key to the vitality of your life in Christ. Without prayer, your life, your faith, your love will die. If you are constant in daily prayer and in the Sunday celebration of Mass, your love for Jesus will increase and your heart will know deep joy and peace, such as the world could never give. Close quote. And the author of those words and the guest we're pleased to have this evening is Paul Novogoski. He's one of America's most 
accomplished Catholic communicators. He's the winner of more than two dozen awards from the Catholic Press Association. Uh, He has edited and written for some of America's top Catholic publications. And Patrick is the managing partner at Nova Media. Uh, It's a marketing firm. And more importantly, he is a husband and father of five beautiful children. Patrick Novikoski, welcome to Amplify. Monsignor, thank you so much for that beautiful introduction. Um, What has been one of your most memorable visits with uh, St. Pope John Paul? And you had five of them. Well, yeah, I had five of them. The very first one, I suppose, was the most most meaningful. I think it set the tone for the other four. Um, So uh, this is documented in my book as well, in in addition to uh, what you read. Um, I, I actually won a contest, and that's uh, oh. that's how I I got to meet John Paul II. Um, I was a brand new employee for the Marians of the Immaculate Conception. They run the National Shrine of Divine Mercy in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, and the Marian Fathers have the Marian Helpers Association, and they publish the Marian Helpers Magazine, which goes out to about a quarter of a million people in the United States and Canada quarterly. Uh, and I was the associate editor, but I was brand new. And this is in um, Christmas of 1996. And every year they would have um, a, a raffle, and employees would buy raffle tickets. The grand prize in those days was from their travel agent. And, and this year, that year, it was a trip for two to Cancun. And, and when the grand prize was pulled, lo and behold, it was my name. I, I won this grand prize. But I knew right away that I didn't want to sit on a beach in Cancun. That just wasn't the the desire of my heart. Um, It was at a time in my life, I was in my late 20s, um, and my faith had really newly come alive for me. And my greatest desire was to go to Rome and and to see where our faith was born. So I called the travel agent and I, I asked if I could change the ticket for a trip to Rome. They said yes. Uh, my boss, who was one of the Marian brothers at the time, said, well, since you're going to Rome, you might as well stay at our monastery there. And uh, would you like to meet the Pope? Oh, wow. Now, there's a backstory <laughs> to that. I, I, my immediate reaction was after I picked my jaw up off the floor, well, yes, please. If there's a list, please put me on it. And, and that would be wonderful. Thank you. But the backstory to that is that the Marians uh, are a Polish-Lithuanian order. Um, they, they were, they had priests behind the Iron Curtain all through the Soviet era. And John Paul had asked the Marians specifically to lead the re-evangelization of Eastern Europe after the fall of communism. Now, Ukraine, Poland, uh, the Soviet bloc, most of those countries got their freedom between 1989 and 1991, 92. So this is 1996, the beginning of 97. And, um, I was writing for the Marians Magazine, which was their, it still is, their um, their biggest publication that gets out the word about the work that they're doing, the needs that they have. So being the new reporter, the new the new editor, uh, they sent me to, I, I, I went to Rome and, and did get to meet John Paul II. But beyond that visit uh, was a trip to Eastern Europe to talk to the Marian fathers and brothers and and find out what their stories were, what their needs were, 
ha have them tell me about what life was like behind the Iron Curtain. Now, getting back to your question specifically with that, that background, um, I, I had been praying fervently to St. Therese because she was young. She went to Rome. She met the Pope um, because she wanted to ask the Pope if she could enter the Carmel at a very young age. Now, uh, I had a different purpose. I just wanted to meet the Pope <laughs> yes. because there was a possibility to do that. So how it worked was John Paul would have his his private mass every morning between seven and eight. Uh, so, sorry, seven and seven thirty a.m. And if you were a bishop or a priest in Rome and and you wanted to celebrate the mass, now this is a chapel that holds thirty thirty five people in in the papal apartments uh, right across from his bedroom. And and so priests and bishops had kind of had the the in if they wanted to to fill those seats. If there were seats left over and you were a lay person and you were on the on the list, lucky enough to have somebody with a connection, um, then they would call you the night before. So I had been in Rome for three or four days and every night went back to the monastery and asked if there was a call that maybe I could see the Pope tomorrow. And I was only in Rome a week. So the days were wearing on and I'd kind of resigned myself to, well, maybe this isn't going to happen. Um, and then it was September 30th, 1997. I was in Rome and my brother was with me and we went to St. John Lateran. And there were pictures of St. Therese everywhere. And, and the writing on the posters was all in Italian. I couldn't understand Italian at the time. I didn't know what they said. But it reminded me to lift up a prayer to St. Therese. So I did and asked for her intercession once again. So went back to the monastery, and they came looking for us. They said, the Holy, the Holy Father's office called. You're going to see him in the morning. The morning just happened to be October 1st, which just happens to be her feast day. And, and, and for your Catholic listeners knowing, you'll understand how special that is. Uh, I asked the saint for intercession, for them to intercede before God for my request, and she did. And <laughs> lo and behold, I met John Paul II on October 1st. And what, what I didn't realize until a couple of months later was that the day the prayer was answered, September 30th, 1997, was 100 years to the day that St. Therese died. Hmm. And that's, that's what all the big posters and celebration were at St. John Lateran. St. John Lateran is, is, is a, a basilica in Rome. It is, it is the cathedral church for the Bishop of Rome, who happens to be John Paul II. So that evening, uh, the way I understand it, he celebrated a Mass in that church uh, because it was 100 years to the day that St. Therese uh, of Lisieux, the little flower, uh, a great patron of the church and, and a doctor of the church, was, was 100 years after her death. So, so that was a very special, special time. And I, I know I'm making this story long, but when, when I did meet him for that first time, I, I got there early in the morning. My brother came with me. They, they, they said I could bring him. Um, and John Paul was in his private chapel. He was, he was kneeling in prayer. Uh, and, and I came around this corner. Uh, his assistant led me in. And he was, he was, I saw him from the back, and he was praying, kneeling down, and, and my heart literally jumped in my chest. And, and there's only one other time in my whole life that I, that I had that 
physical reaction to seeing someone. And it was when my wife was walking down the aisle in her wedding dress on our wedding day. Um, so so it, it was it was a special moment. And, and the mass lasted about 20 minutes. And, and I, I, I kind of stared at him the whole time. I wanted to just soak this all up. And then after it was over, they led us to another room. And a couple of minutes later, the Pope came in. He went up to each person individually, and, and uh, he was introduced to them by his assistant, and he pressed a rosary in their hand. I was the only one in, in that whole group that had a gift for him. And, and my gift was pages from, from Marian.org, M-A-R-I-A-N.org. Uh, I was the webmaster at the time and uh, had just refreshed the website and so I had printed out these pages about Divine Mercy, about St. Faustina, uh, and the work that John Paul II had done with regard to spreading this devotion uh, that, that um, St. Faustina had written about. Um, and, and so I stood there for a full minute with, with St. John Paul II beside me, um, and I was a little nervous because I had this whole speech worked out in, in my head. And, and But when he came in the room, all of that anxiety was gone, just all in a second. And um, so I, I was able to stand there beside him without stuttering, without being nervous, and, and, and tell him what I was showing him. It was as simple as talking to my father. It was really a, a beautiful moment. I'm sure. I, and I had such a moment, and I would probably have spend as much time as I as you did and with just the enthusiasm. Let me just read us out to our first break about some of the, the hundred ways in which you believe that um, John Paul II has changed the world. Um, 100 is religious freedom. Certainly religious freedom seems to be under attack today. Uh, and you point out that some cities might seem to be without God, even though physically they have churches in them. Uh, 99 is dying with dignity, and uh, the main theme is that the inherent dignity of each person flows from God, and it's not ours uh, to take away. The Shroud of Turin, something that I've been very interested in over the years, he called it a mirror of the gospel, thought that it was an invitation to face every experience with the attitude of those who believe that God's merciful love overcomes every poverty, can come every limitation, Every Temptation to Despair. He had friendship with Padre Pio, who believed that he was a poor Franciscan who prays, convinced that prayer is the best weapon we have, a key that opens the heart of God. That um, your belief that his visits to the United States had a special affinity for the United States. And um, I don't know if you realize, Pittsburgh was one of the places he visited before becoming Pope. And there are a lot of stories about that. Um, other, th other of, of the hundred ways are the end times, his admiration for Archbishop Fulton Sheen that I've mentioned a number of times on this program, uh, relations with Islam, that uh, he believed that we should work for a civilization of love where there is no room for hatred, discrimination, or violence. World peace, he says it will be the last word of history, and um, the impact on home, on uh, Poland, which was uh, his homeland, um, you note that entire books have been written about his passion for it. His letter to artists is one of the most read, quoted, and studied documents, and all are entrusted with the task of 
crafting their own life. And uh, in a certain sense, they are to make it a work of art, a masterpiece. And when I read that, I, I have to be able to apply that to myself, that my life should be a work of art. I don't mean me personally, but each of us, and that beauty is necessary for evangelization because beauty lifts the soul to God. So whenever we come back, Patrick, let's begin to talk about uh, the those in the 80s. Welcome back to Amplify, where our guest this evening is Paul Novogoski, one of America's most accomplished Catholic communicators, the winner of more than two dozen awards from the Catholic Press Association. He has edited and written for some of America's top publications, and he's written a book that he sincerely must love, no question about it. It's titled 100 Ways John Paul II Changed, Changed the World, and I had an opportunity to visit with him uh, five times, and these 100 Ways... There's no way we can cover them, of course, in the course of this program, uh, but um, they're, they're written so well, there's they're only like one page in the book. The one page is full, most sometimes a page and a half, and we just want to run over lightly some of them so you know uh, something of his thinking, and during the last hour, we want to really uh, focus on, on the last 10. So, uh, Patrick, um, the if going backwards from 89... It's theater, poetry, uh, friendship with Colonel Stefan Wisinski, uh, solidarity, trade union, Our Lady of Fatima, surviving assassination, forgiving Ali Adja, uh, friendship with Ronald Reagan, friendship with Mother Teresa, and visits to Mexico. Pick one or two that you would like to speak to. Wow, there, there, there's so much there. Yes, um, there is, in the whole book, about, yes. Let's... <laughs> let's let's talk about um, Fatima uh, surviving the assassination and Muhammad Ali Aja. Okay, because there, there's so much in those three that's interconnected. I put them together that way on purpose, but uh, uh, th- there's there's so much depth there that speaks to who John Paul II was and and what he wanted to teach us. So uh, do you want me just to launch in, or do you want to start with No, no, go ahead. No, no, just give some thoughts on those two areas. Yeah, so um, John Paul always had a devotion to to Mary, the mother of God. His mother died when he was almost nine years old, and his father would take him to to Jasnogora, the shrine of the Black Madonna, Our Lady of Czestochowa, in Poland. And on one of those visits, on many of those visits, his father would say, she is your mother now. And, and he, he, you know, we, there's always a longing in our hearts to please our parents. And when we lose a parent at a young age, and w- which didn't happen to me, but uh, th- there needs to be some grace, some comfort attached to, to help us to, to go on and to make sense of the world. And, and he made sense of the world by attaching himself to, to Mary, the mother of God. Uh, you know, John Paul II, uh, it, people might look at his life and say, well, he lived in a palace, he was a prince of the church, he traveled the world, he, he had a great life. But he had a very difficult life. He had a lot of pain in his life. He lost his mother, when, like I said, when he was almost nine. 
a few years later, his older brother, Edmund, who is a physician, died suddenly. Uh, it, it was during um, a, a plague or a, a, an outbreak similar to what we're going through now with COVID. Uh, he contracted, um, I think it was like scarlet fever from one of his patients, and he died. And he, he admired his, his older brother so deeply. Um, and, and then when he was, I think around 2021, his father died. And, and he was a very young man, and, and he, he was essentially an orphan. Everyone, his whole family was gone. So the pain of that, it, how do you deal with that as a young person? Uh, he, he threw himself into the arms of Mary. And, and so, um, you know, the, the Fatima, the, the apparitions at Fatima began just over 100 years ago, uh, early part of the 20th century. And they foretold what would happen uh, with communism and Russia and, and a call to repentance. And that really resonated with John Paul II, particularly after and during the Second World War, when Poland was occupied first by the Nazis and then by the communists. Uh, and, and that's the regime he grew up under. And he knew the story of Fatima. So when, when he became Pope, uh, he delved into that even more deeply. But here's the interesting thing, that when, the, the, when Muhammad Ali Aja, uh pulled out his revolver and, as Ruger and, and shot John Paul II on May 13, 1981, it just happened to be the feast of Our Lady of Fatima, uh, the, the anniversary of the apparition to the children in Fatima in Portugal. Um, now, Muhammad Ali Aja was he was a Turkish gunman. He was a trained assassin. He was shocked that he missed. He was shocked that John Paul II lived. He was not supposed to live through that. Uh, he, he was struck, uh, I think, three times. One hit his finger. Uh, I think one bullet missed, and, and one was lodged in his abdomen. The doctor said if it would have been just a millimeter or two over, uh, it, it, would have, it would have killed him instantly. Um, John Paul II later said that one hand fired the bullet, another hand guided the bullet. And he, yes. he, he said that the other hand was Mary, the mother of God, that interceded to, to save his life. Um, now, again, this is on the anniversary of Our Lady of Fatima, when John Paul II was in the hospital convalescing, he asked for, let me get this right, he asked for two, two, two of the things he asked for. One was the diary of St. Faustina, and I mentioned her earlier. She was the one to whom Jesus appeared in the 1930s and asked, uh, for, first of all, to, to tell the world that now is the time for God's mercy. It's time to turn to God for his mercy. Uh, so that's one thing that John Paul asked for. He also asked for the third secret of Fatima. Now, I, I won't go into the first two secrets of Fatima, um, but the third secret had to do with uh, a bishop in white, happens to be the pope, uh, being struck by arrows, being shot down by, by, by killers. And so when John Paul read this secret in his bed after being shot, he he realized that that really sounded like what happened to him. And he confirmed this. So th there were three children in Fatima who, who, whom, to whom Mary appeared. Uh, two of them had died as, as young children. The third one, Sister Lucia, she, she lived a very long life. She, uh, she became a nun. And John Paul had a, had a great friendship with her. He asked her 
Is this the third secret of Fatima? Is this what happened in the vision that you saw? And she said, yes, yes, it is. So um, very interesting how those things tie together. Uh, and now uh, I'll just move on to Mahatma Ali Aja, the, the assassin. Um, he was supposed he had a, he had a, a cohort who who was with him in the square, who was supposed to set off a, a, a small explosion as a diversion after he fired the bullets. Now that didn't happen. Uh, Ali Aja was tackled first by a nun, and then another bystander, and and then the police nabbed him. So he wasn't able to make his getaway. Uh, he was in prison, um, and a year, about a year, year and a half later, John Paul II, uh, the whole time, appealed to the the the, the Italian government to to go lean to, to for leniency for for this assassin. Uh, as John Paul II was being driven to the hospital uh, while he was uh, dying, uh, he he whispered to his aides, "I forgive him. I forgive him." Uh, and, and he went a step further after he survived the attack. He, he actually went to the prison uh, and he requested this. And he requested that, first of all, that, that Muhammad Ali Aja was, was not in handcuffs, that the, the cell door be left open, that they were able to speak face to face. So they had chairs. It was, it was kind of like a face to face confession with a priest. That, that's how they were set up in the, in the jail cell. And John Paul also brought his own photographer and his own videographer with him for, for this purpose, uh, to, to show the world that even if someone needs to kill you, you can go to them and tell them you forgive them, that, that retribution is not necessary for conversion of heart, forgiveness and mercy are necessary. So those three things tie together so beautifully. And let me just throw in one last thing about Our Lady of Fatima. One year exactly to the day after he was shot, John Paul went to Fatima in Portugal to the shrine uh, and, and celebrated a mass of thanksgiving to Our Lady for saving his life. He took the bullet that, that had almost killed him, and he had that welded into the crown of Our Lady of Fatima in Portugal, and it's still there to this day as a thanksgiving to God, to Our Lady for, for saving his life and allowing him to continue his ministry. Let's, let's, do, it, let's do it this way. I, I wanna, first of all, I want to talk about his friendship with Ronald Reagan, which really surprised me. Uh, a lot of them are historical events, but there's a lot that uh, he had to say and do that affects us today. But friendship with uh, Ronald Reagan, from what you've just talked about, both men uh, sought to end the Cold War. Uh, both survived assassination attempts in 1981. Both had fathers who died in 1941. As young men, both had suffered serious illnesses or injuries. Both were athletes and talented actors, and they genuinely liked one another. They confided in one another, you point out. Uh, they had the conviction that God had spared their lives for the purpose of defending communism and many of the related documents of, of how they met secretly, they chose to meet secretly, mm -hmm. remain classified to this day. Now, there's so much. Just let's, we only have nine minutes till we reach the end of this <laughs> first portion of the program. Select anyone from number 11 on, uh, backwards, so that we can talk about the, the last 10 
in the book during the second part of the program. Well, I, I, actually, I like so much of what you said about Reagan. Uh, can, can we just continue with sure, that? Sure, you could. Because, sure. Because there's, 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 there's so much there. There's just so much there. Uh, yeah, true, they, they genuinely liked one another. And, and they, uh, although one was Protestant, one was Catholic, both of them had a passion for uh, ending communism in Eastern Europe. During the 1940s, 50s, 60s, and into the 70s, there were two people in the United States who were the loudest voices, the most articulate voices, the most passionate voices for for teaching the world about the evils of communism. They were Ronald Reagan and Bishop Fulton Sheen. And when John Paul II was elected in 1978, he went to Poland in June of 1979 and he called down the Holy Spirit on his native land. The communist government did not want him to go back to his country. They did their very best to keep him out, but they couldn't. And they tried to contain the message that he brought to, to the country, but they couldn't. Ronald Reagan saw this on TV. And Ronald Reagan said to himself, the Pope is the key. Now, this is 79. This is a year before Reagan is elected president. The, so Reagan went on, on, on the air. He, he had these weekly radio addresses that he did that were nationwide. And he talked about John Paul II in Poland. So when Reagan was elected president, one of the first things he did was establish diplomatic relations with the Holy See. That had never been done before. He appointed the first ambassador to the Holy See, established diplomatic relations for the sole purpose of bringing down communism. And, and and as you said, he shared intelligence with the Holy See and vice versa. A lot of these documents still classified. But to Reagan's final days, uh, uh, 1989, Reagan was out of office over a year. Um, there was a budding democracy in, in Poland. Uh, the, the, the Iron Curtain had fallen. They had succeeded. The, the eight years that Reagan was in office were were, were tumultuous. But the great victory was Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall, and it happened. So some of these new government officials from Poland came to visit Ronald Reagan at his ranch in California. And, while, and they were there just for advice, just to, to, to get his, his wisdom on, on how to build a democracy. And they saw a picture of John Paul II on his mantle, and, and he noticed them admiring it. And, and he, he turned to them and he said, He's my best friend. Yes, I know I'm Protestant and he's Catholic, but he's still my best friend. And, yes. and that was who Reagan was. He had the, 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 the greatest admiration for John Paul II and vice versa. You see the pictures of them walking and talking together, and you could tell these two men were like brothers. Uh, they, 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 they walked hand in hand, lockstep with purpose, knowing that they were fulfilling God's plan uh, in their lives to, to change the world. And they did it. Mm. They, they did it beautifully. And um, there are a number of things that touch on life today. Uh, again, we won't have time to go into each of them, but addressing poverty, um, certainly an mm. issue today. Guiding economic policy. Anticipating climate change. The relationship between faith and science uh, showed concern for police, for firefighters, for military personnel, um, a stand against 
Uh, socialism uh, w- was still another one. Uh, he writes, Socialism considers the individual person simply as an element, a molecule within the social organism, so that the good of the individual is completely subordinated to the functioning of the socio-economic mechanism. Socialism likewise maintains that the good of the individual can be realized without reference to his free choice, to the unique and exclusive responsibilities by which he exercises in the face of good and evil. And, and you point out that he lived under socialism and understood how it could corrupt uh, the working class. And uh, my own personal one is when he, when he speaks about Christian unity. He had a great passion for Christian unity and also about, uh, about angels and especially evil in, in the world today. He wrote, um, well, you first of all say that you write it, he emphasized that, that angels play a significant part in the history of salvation of man in the moments established by divine providence. And when he visited the Italian shrine of St. Michael in 1987, he underscored the fact that spiritual warfare is real. Quote, the battle against the devil, which is the principal task of St. Michael the Archangel, is still being fought today because the devil is alive, is still alive and active in the world. So any one of those, we could, we could talk to a great deal of length. Try to select another one in the last three minutes or last three minutes we have before we talk about the last 10 in the second part of our program. Wow, you, you, you nailed a few really good ones there. I, I literally don't have the book in front of me, so <laughs> why, okay. don't, why don't you just throw one at me, and, and I'll talk a little bit about that. Well, I would, I, I would think uh, the, the whole thing about prayer is critically important, uh, where uh, he's— Yeah, yeah. so I, I like that one. Let me tell you just a quick story that w- many times when John Paul II traveled, uh, he, he would get— thrown off schedule. And, and it became, with people that invited him to, to visit their country, uh, he, he gained quite a reputation for uh, not following the schedule. And, and here's what they learned, that if John Paul II was walking past a tabernacle, you're going to lose him for a while, <laughs> because he will make a beeline to the tabernacle, and he will be lost in prayer so deeply that that he he would just just wreck the schedule. So what they would tell the organizers were: make sure you do not lead the Holy Father past a, a chapel or a tabernacle or a prayer place, a place where the Blessed Sacrament is housed, because it will kill your schedule. Right, no <laughs> doubt about it. But he was. And he was a mystic. I mean, he, he truly was mystic. Uh, a mystic. The people, they would often find him uh, lying prostrate, prostrate, prostrate in, in his chapel uh, in, with his arms outstretched uh, and his face to the ground. And, and he would be so deep in prayer that, that it was like he, w- he, was, he was just not there anymore. He, he, he was literally transported to, to heaven uh, and and I, I have a personal story, too, of, of experiencing John Paul II as a young man that I can tell you maybe in the second hour. Okay. But his yeah. prayer was deep and rich, and it really was the nuclear reactor that powered everything that he did and accomplished. And let me just read us out to, uh, the, to our break, um, Be Not Afraid, uh, 
from his first Mass, you point out as Pope to the last day of his life, he repeated many times the primary theme of his pontificate, be not afraid. And we live in a time when a lot of people are afraid. And he said that Christians and non-Christians alike should not fear to open their hearts completely to Jesus Christ, allowing him to transform them from within. And so um, this is no time, he said, to be ashamed of of the gospel, that we should strive for holiness. Uh, don't be afraid to be holy, he said. Do not be satisfied with mediocrity. The kingdom of heaven is for those who are determined to to enter it. And he was persuasive then with with youth calling young people to be bold in their faith. And so it, it was a real theme from his throughout his life, be not afraid.